Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Philip Martin, in for Callie Crosley, and this is Under the Radar. Now for the part of the show we call Lawn Yap. That's Creole for something extra. While April may be the cruelest month, it's an exciting time for poetry. From Jamaica Plain to Cambridge, Greater Boston is flush with open mics and poetry slams. And now, more than ever, it seems like poetry is winning the hearts and minds of young and old alike. But what's driving the renewed interest in the art? Let's start on the sidewalk. Our producer, Jesse Steinmetz, takes it from here. At first glance, the sidewalk at 359 Broadway in Cambridge looks perfectly normal. There are cracks in the pavement, metal signs saying toe zone, no parking, and a red brick school to the side. What you may not notice is that there's a poem right beneath your feet. Chiron Beverly seems surprised when I pointed out the particular square. I ask, is this the first time you've ever noticed it? Yes. <laughs> Have you walked by here a lot? I have walked by here every single day <laughs> for the whole school year. Why do, you, why do you think you haven't noticed it before? Because at 2 o'clock I'm just trying to run home. Like many of us after work, he just wants to go home. But for everyone who does have the time to slow down, they'll notice a poem is seemingly carved into the sidewalk. Ten lines of words fill a concrete square. The letters are a few inches in size and make small divots on the hard surface. This one is titled Stay and I met with the author, Anne Dane, at the very spot. She was a winner of the annual Cambridge Sidewalk Poetry Contest, a program that began in 2015 and is run by the Department of Public Works, Cambridge Arts, and the Cambridge Public Library. A committee selects five winners in a blind review, and Dane's poem was chosen in 2020. I asked her to read it for me. Stay. Bookstore, I love you. Your bestsellers, your remainders, your used books, your staff picks. Sometimes I read standing inside just for kicks. Don't leave like Pangloss, Mandrake, Schoenhoffs, Wordsworth, Star, McIntyre and Moore, flocks of little word birds flying out your door. She says the poem is about all the former bookstores in Cambridge that used to line the streets. What inspired my po- this poem is I love bookstores. And when I first moved into Cambridge in 1985, there were nearly 20 bookstores, and now there are three or four. And of course, that's the internet, and progress is progress. There are still more than a handful of bookstores in Cambridge, but in the age of Amazon and AI, it's easy to feel that reading, bookstores, and poetry are on the decline. But there is evidence suggesting otherwise. From social media to the Cambridge Sidewalk Poetry Contest, I sat down at GBH with a few people engaged with poetry in Greater Boston to find out why the art form not only continues to endure, but appears to be blossoming here and across the country. Joining me here in studio is Amanda Shea, Boston-based multidisciplinary artist, educator, and publicist. Hey, Amanda. Hi. And Lillian Sue, Director of Public Art at Cambridge Arts. Welcome, Lillian. Thank you. Great to be here. 
And joining us remotely is Lisa New, Powell M. Cabot Professor of American Literature at Harvard University, director and host of PBS's Poetry in America, and director of the Center for Public Humanities at Arizona State University. Thanks for joining us, Lisa. Hi, Jesse. Delighted to be here. So poetry is often considered something that can be boring or outdated or purely academic. You know, you learn it in school, it often rhymes, and either you have to get it or you don't. And yet poetry seems to be having a sort of renaissance. A study found the amount of young people reading poetry doubled from 2012 to 2017. Traffic to sites such as Poets.org surged 25% during the beginning of the pandemic, and hundreds of new independent bookstores have opened across the country in recent years. Poets like Rupi Kaur have over 4.5 million followers on Instagram, and there have been moments where poetry has exploded in pop culture, including when Amanda Gorman read her poem, The Hill We Climb, at President Biden's inauguration. Here's a clip of that piece. We will rebuild, reconcile, and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country. Our people, diverse and beautiful, will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Lisa, I want to start with you. What's behind America's renewed interest in poetry? You know, I loved um, listening to that recitation by Amanda because it went to two of the those elements you suggested we had fallen out of love with. <laughs> and one is rhyme. That you know, we and and certainly when I was younger, we thought rhyme was boring and passe and the mark of um old, dreary old fashionedness. But as we can hear in Amanda's um beautiful reading of her poem, rhyme is back, which is to say that the music of poetry is back and the performance um aspects of poetry are back. Uh, and the public um, aspects of poetry are back. I think those three things um, together um, really, in some ways, encapsulate why there's this renewed um, enthusiasm and excitement about poetry. It's been taken, um, it's been lifted off the page and out of solitary experience and brought back into the body and back into public. And Amanda, you're a poet that has read all over greater Boston and even toward the country performing your work. Why do you think poetry is resonating with so many people right now? Like Jay Ivey said recently, who is the spoken word Grammy-winning artist, uh, he said, now is the time for poets. And I feel like Words matter, and I think that poetry allows people to really listen inten intentionally as well as um, understand each other. I think poetry also is very—it reminds us of music. You know, your favorite hip-hop artist was probably a poet first. So I think there's this resurgence of people wanting to get back to the word. And Lillian, the Boston area specifically seems especially receptive to poetry. Uh, you helped create an annual sidewalk poetry contest in Cambridge where residents of any age can submit an original poem to be judged by a panel. 
and the five winners get their poems stamped into fresh concrete across the city of Cambridge. Uh, a record 336 poems were submitted this year, up from 252 last year, and this was all initiated by a resident reaching out to Public Works. Can you talk about how this program got started? Sure. It it started with that, a resident <laughs> reaching out to Public Works, and then Public Works, my colleague in Public Works, sent me an email and said, what do you think? And coincidentally, about four months before that email, I had been walking the streets of St. Paul, Minnesota, dropping my daughter off at college and walking to my bed and breakfast. And there was a poem on the sidewalk. I thought, huh, what's that? And I paused. I read the poem. And oddly, doing public art in Cambridge, I did not pursue uh, the research and said, who did this? Who's responsible? What was the budget? Which department? And all of that. I just thought it was wonderful. So when DPW sent that email, I thought, I've actually experienced this. Yes. And we usually say, start with yes until you have to say no. So we said (laughs) yes. That was about eight years ago. I had no idea how complicated it is. But that's how it began. And it involves a lot of different aspects, like it has to be the right weather, there has to be the right temperature for the concrete, and you choose specific places for the poems to be stamped into the ground. Is that right? Yes, there might be a construction project. Maybe they're repairing some underground utility, um, but maybe it's a whole school construction project, and so sidewalks are being repaired. Um, it's folded into, when we started this, Public Works thought, well, we can fold it into the sidewalk repair program. So these trucks are going around all over the city pouring new concrete. Um, And the program has grown so much that we're considering now, well, maybe it should be its own program. But people often ask like about the stamping itself. It's not like we have a dedicated little mini concrete truck that's going around just doing bombs. (laughs) (laughs) But I have so much respect for the workers who are with the contractor because maybe they've never stamped a poem in the wet concrete, but they're pouring wet concrete all the time, taking their trowels, you know, smoothing out areas. And then they stamp a poem, and I just hope that maybe that's a nice moment in their day. And sidewalk poetry has grown to all corners of the country, from Billings, Montana, to Pittsburgh, to Key West. Poetry can feel inaccessible to a lot of people, but this program makes it almost literally unavoidable if you live in Cambridge. Uh, What do you hope happens when someone stumbles across a poem on the sidewalk? Uh, that they pause, maybe wonder, read it, share it, keep in mind that, oh yeah, that location in front of that school or library, there's a poem there, and come back again because many people um, are walking the same route every day. I think the sidewalk is not just a surface, but it's a whole space. It's a volume of space, and It's a social space, an economic space, cultural space. And so I I think the impact is across time. And Lisa, Boston and Cambridge have a decorated history when it comes to poetry. Can you tell me a little bit about the history in this area? The first poet who really made an impact in America was, and it wasn't, it certainly wasn't the United States yet, was Anne Bradstreet. Anne Bradstreet is a is a much loved poet for good reason. Even though she feels a little archaic and old fashioned, 
um, one hears across the centuries the struggles of a real person um, who has um, who has fears and and wishes and dreams. So I, I love that one of the um, you know that the actually the very first published poet in New England was a woman, Anne Bradstreet, uh, and that you know really the next important poet to come along who wasn't a minister. Uh, was Phyllis Wheatley, mm -hmm. um, the Black enslaved poet um, of the Revolutionary period, who really helped to um, articulate a vision of America that we are we are still striving um, to fulfill. A poem by Anne Bradstreet specifically. Her earliest surviving poem is called "Upon a Fit of Sickness." Touches on the themes that you mentioned. And it was written in 1632. And just to emphasize this point, Anne Bradstreet wrote this poem almost 400 years ago. And she wrote it in Newtown, which coincidentally is what Cambridge is today. Yeah. And to give the listeners a taste of her work, Lisa, can you read Upon a Fit of Sickness for us? Sure. This is just classic Bradstreet. Oh, bubble blast, how long canst last that always art a breaking no sooner blown, but dead and gone, even as a word that's speaking. Oh, whilst I live, this grace me give, I doing good may be, that death's arrest I shall count best, because it's thy decree. And I actually checked the guidelines, and this poem would be eligible to be entered in the 2023 Cambridge Sidewalk Poetry Contest, so <laughs> that's another way she was perhaps ahead of her time, but... Amanda, being a Boston poet, you're standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, Anne Bradstreet, Phyllis Wheatley, and as a living, breathing 21st century Boston poet, does this history inform your work at all? Absolutely. Um, to quote the great Nina Simone, it is our duty as artists to reflect the times in which we live in. And ironically enough, I was just interviewed with the BBC um, about Phyllis Wheatley's legacy here in Boston and the conversation of why we don't uphold her legacy more and celebrate her writing. Um, I think that it is, it's disheartening to be able to read, you know, somebody's work from you know, 1630s or 1920s and then reflect back on 2023 and say, wow, like we've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go, um, especially when I'm talking about my um, experience as a black queer woman in the United States. So I feel like gentrification, trauma, discrimination, racism, all of those things still exist today. So it's very important for me to keep telling those stories, but also, you know, uplift the progression we have made as well. Amanda, I was wondering, could you read a poem of yours for us? Absolutely. Um, this is called Resilience. The saying goes, when the tough get going, the going get tough. Must have not have met my mother. The scars she bears are invisible. Only those with the third eye could see. You see, her body is strong, agile but weakened by her experiences. Black women are to only be strong, no complaints, no check-ins, only check-ups to ensure the body is intact. Heavy the head who wears the crown, but I see it slipping, 
Weight on her shoulder she carries worlds around. We simply orbit in her universe, even when she's lost in her own space. But who? Who will carry her burdens, I mean? Her anger, her depression, her anxiety, her bipolar, her grief, her wallet. She don't need a partner, but society's price tags tells her different stories, ones filled with fairy tales unbeknownst to her for. She's a dollar in a dream mentality. Don't worry, I got this swag. I can do bad all by myself. No two cents to rub together, but she rubbed out meals. Who will nourish her soul? It's tired, been beaten, but not just by life, by family who cast her away, didn't want to help her rewrite her wrongs, running away from generational trauma. She's out of breath. Panic attacks her nervous system. Like a baby she births, she self-soothes. Resilient. Black and brown women overcome so many obstacles. And when asked, how are you? They reply. My mama replies. I reply. I'm fine. Thank you. Can you tell me what inspired that? My mom. <laughs> um, I'm not a rhyming verse poem, a poet. Um, I'm more of a free verse poet, one who writes but has a, a cadence, flow, and rhythmic to um, their poetry, especially in po performances. For me, this started out about my mom. Um, I was asked to do a performance for a woman's empowerment brunch and realized that I didn't have anything really that spoke to our experiences or resiliency. And it started out about my mom, but then I started thinking about, you know, what we've been seeing going on in our social climate as far as like George Floyd, Sandra Bland. And I started thinking about mothers who have lost their children in the public eye, mothers who have lost their jobs, um, women who have to bear all types of generational trauma and still are told to be resilient and show face in front of the world. Um, and it just, it was an ode to black and brown women. And when I say black and brown women, I also include trans women in that conversation as well. And despite its obvious value to many people, in terms of the business of poetry, it's still hard to make money from poetry. You know, people don't get into poetry in order to get rich. The winners of this year's Sidewalk Contest receive a $100 award, and Boston's poet laureate Portia Olaiwola received a $5,000 honorarium this year. And uh, one of the staples of the poetry community in Cambridge is the Grolier Poetry Bookshop, a bookstore that opened in 1927, but it was on the verge of bankruptcy when it was bought in 2006 by the family that currently owns it. Lisa, why is it so hard to turn a profit on poetry? I don't know that anyone's ever turned a profit on poetry. I wonder if it's something about our American belief that our work is everything, <laughs> that everything we do has to be professionalized. And of course, we have found in the 20th century ways for poets to keep body and soul together. Probably the most significant of those, which has had some positive effects and I think some deleterious ones, is that poets now have places in universities. But honestly, I'm not sure that um, that we're thinking straight in believing that um, that that poetry is a 
professional activity. And Amanda, as a living, breathing poet, can I ask, you know, how do you make how do you make ends meet as a poet? Thank you for asking that, because um, I'm listening to the question and I'm like, well, I'm not rich, but I'm definitely turning a profit. Um, I feel for me uh, performing, not just in Boston, but all over, really allows me to make uh, to sustain my home. Um, I also feel that you know, poetry is also not just performances, right? Like we can publish books and we can, you know, audio books and podcasts, as we've seen, has also increased. So I feel that, you know, we're moving into an era where I feel like we can turn a profit on poetry. I also think we're moving away from this ideology of poets are not like musicians. Um, we're starting to see poets um, be in arenas and, you know, gallery spaces and also in festi- on festival stages. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. I don't I think we should be included in those in those spaces and not excluded. I think people's opinions about poetry, just being the poet and the mic and, you know, the dawn of the day, that type of, of ideology of it is, is fading away. And we're seeing it also entwined with live instrumentation and dance and other mediums of art. When you come to my performance, it's not just me and a mic. I could have a keys player, horns, sax, um, guitarists. I could also have vocals, um, vocalists with me and background singers as well as dancers. So it's a performance um, as well as, you know, the word. You know, we're moving in a really great space. I tell my students all the time, if you don't want to perform, you can also publish. And that's shown to be a, still a lucrative path for a lot of poets. And as we've seen with Jay Ivey, he just went on tour um, after he won the Grammys and did all of the city, city wineries across the country. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he's making a profit. <laughs> I'm Jesse Steinmetz filling in for Callie Crossley, and you are listening to Under the Radar. My guests are Amanda Shea, multidisciplinary artist and educator, Lillian Sue, director of public art at Cambridge Arts, and Lisa New, professor of American literature at Harvard. We're talking about poetry in Boston and beyond. And Lillian, going back to Cambridge, in the face of a pandemic, war in Ukraine, political violence, things like art and poetry often have their budgets cut and are cast aside for more, you know, quote-unquote important things. And yet Cambridge commits to it with the Sidewalk Poetry Contest, among other programs year after year. Why is poetry valuable enough to a city to fund it time and time again? It's an extremely popular program, and we've seen that over the years. Um, And there are many other ways in which it has prompted us to put poetry in other places. There's poetry on the rises in a large staircase in our main library. Uh, We've had programming. We've had steamroller poetry printing. And so because it's so popular, we see, well, we can't stop this program. And there are many other ways in which we expand it. So this year, we have welcomed poems in languages other than English, as well as English. And we just keep finding ways to to expand it. And the numbers of people submitting poems um, is one indicator of of the rewards of that. That's beautiful. Lisa... Having studied the long arc of American poetry, what can a poet offer in the face of seemingly impossible problems? I think that poets offer us 
an amplification of the things we we really care about, the historical forces we're swept up in, the individual traumas connected to those historical forces. Poets, often by expressing their own experience, help us to see, um, give us perspective on what we really feel, the times we really live in. You know, when we when we slow down and listen to a poem, we we hear ourselves in in ways that are um, profoundly moving. And for me, it's the um, it's it's watching readers of poetry or listeners to poetry or those learning poems for the first time that persuades me um, of its um, of its of its value and its usefulness. And Amanda, last word for you. As we wrap up April, what do you hope someone who's new or skeptical to poetry gets out of National Poetry Month? The vulnerability and the messaging of it. I think, well, I hope that people just open their horizons and are willing to listen to people tell their stories and express their vul- the most vulnerable parts of themselves in their journey to hopefully um, unlock something that they didn't understand or something that they may have buried within them deeply and inspire them to tell their, their truth. That's a good note to end on. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amanda Shea is a Boston-based multidisciplinary artist, educator, and publicist. Lillian Sue is the director of public art at Cambridge Arts. And Lisa New is the Powell M. Cabot Professor of American Literature at Harvard University, director and host of PBS's Poetry in America, and director of the Center for Public Humanities at Arizona State University. Back in Cambridge, cars pass by as people continue to walk up and down the street. Occasionally, someone might glance at Anne Dane's poem in the concrete, but it's hard to tell. Most people don't seem to notice. Still, the poem isn't going anywhere. Unlike a poetry reading, where the event ends when the curtains close, Anne Dane's poem will still be there, stamped into the ground. What does it feel like to have your work essentially set in stone? It reminds Dane of the ancient Roman poet Horus. It feels like Horace, who said, Exegi monumentum perennius ire, which means, I have put up a monument more lasting than bronze. In other words, as a poet, he knew that his words would last forever. And he was right. We're still reading Horace today. The Cambridge Sidewalk Poetry Contest is only growing, and there are no plans to stop. While the sidewalk poems will inevitably deteriorate over time, Cambridge officials say they will replace and restamp them as necessary. In theory, Andane's poem, like all the other poems stamped across the city, will be here long after we're gone. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar. I'm Philip Martin filling in for Callie Crosley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crosley is a production of GBH, produced by Jesse Steinmetz. Our intern is Jenny Firm, and our engineer is Dave Goodman. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxes, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday, and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. 
I'm Philip Martin. Thanks for listening.